Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Junkies, welcome to episode number 14 of The Gangsta. We just passed 1,700 reviews for Mount Fitzroy over at audible.com. If you've listened to that book and you have not yet left a review and a rating, please do. It's very helpful. And when I recorded this episode, the time I recorded it, we were at 199 reviews at Audible for the book you're about to listen to, The Gangster. Yes, the full-length version of The Gangster is up at audible.com. If you snagged it there, do leave a review or keep that in mind when you finish listening to this podcast novel. Speaking of The Gangster, the layout is almost complete for the hardcover. We expect it to ship this summer. You've been waiting a long, 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 long time, I know. Also, speaking of The Gangster... There are only 70 copies left in the pre-order. It's a 2,000 copy pre-order print run. When they are gone, they are gone. So if you dig the GFL, if you want the hardcover for The Gangster, you better get your butt over to scottsigler.com slash thegangster, one word, and order it before it's too late. Because when it's gone, I don't want to hear you whining. I don't want to hear it. We're letting you know ahead of time. This is your chance. Did I also tell you that the hardcover pre-order includes a 36-inch by 24-inch map of the GFL-era Siglerverse, the galaxy map, where the where the touchback goes and everybody moves around the map. Yes, we're going to have a full-color map made by Scotty Pond. It's really cool. We've been working on it. It looks gorgeous. Uh, it's, a, it's very handy for GFL book 7 and 8, also for GFL rereads and re-listens, and also for The Crypt, which I will be working on as soon as I finish the second draft of GFL Book 7, which I'm working on right now. So in the last episode, episode 13, I screwed up and I gave this story so far that was supposed to be for this episode. My apologies, I got a little goofed up on that. In short, in this episode, Q and Becca's big day isn't over. Q's got to have a talk with a former member of the Zoroastrian Guild. Let's get into it, junkies. Enjoy. Big Mike. Quentin had been married less than an hour, and he was already away from his new bride, ready to do something that needed to be done. He and Janine walked arm in arm toward the same hospitality suite where he'd welcomed her and the Tweedies. Everyone but Quentin, Big Mike, Chodo, and Janine were down on the field, joining Becca for a bit of reminiscing about the early days of her career. When Quentin had excused himself from Becca and the others, Janine had insisted on walking with him. You obviously have something to tell me, Quentin said, so go ahead and say it. Janine's eyebrows rose. Can't a girl just take a walk with her baby brother? Do you think you know me that well? Quentin hesitated. They'd spent so little time together. He didn't want to assume anything, didn't want to jeopardize their still fragile relationship. Janine loved him, he knew, but she also feared him to some degree. That fear was why she'd initially stayed away from him. Their father had supposedly been a violent person, and, according to her, Quentin looked just like the man. If I had something private to say to you, I would have done the same thing, Quentin said. Does that answer your question? She grinned. 
That's some fancy footwork, Barnes. Yeah, I'm known for my fancy footwork. But you do have something to say to me, right? Yes, I do, she patted his arm. I wanted to wait until after the ceremony to tell you. Because it's going to make me angry? Probably. When Fred got us out of Ionath, he pulled me aside and told me to give you a message. Quentin frowned. Fred was just here. Why didn't he tell me himself? He wanted you to be able to enjoy your big day without added stress. He actually wanted me to wait until tomorrow to tell you, but I think you need to know now. She hesitated. Just tell me, sis, Quentin said. I promise I won't get mad. Even if he did, he would hide it, just like he was hiding his continued grief at losing Coach. All right, here goes, Janine said. Fred is working with Greedock to find out who tried to kill you at Randall Hospital. Quentin stopped walking. Fred is working with Greedock? Janine's eyes widened. She started to slide her arm out of Quentin's, started to take a step away. No, I'm not angry, Quentin said. I'm just making sure I heard you right. Her eyes narrowed. You're sure you're not mad? Because if I were you, I'd be mega mad. Maybe even super mega mad. Quentin laughed, which surprised him. You're not going to start talking like John and Jew, are you? It's kind of contagious, Janine said. She regarded him for a moment more, then relaxed her arm in his. They started walking again. Missal apparently put out the word that Greedock wanted to hire Fred. Now, before you get all chest puffy, Fred isn't working for the little Blackford demon. He thinks collaborating with Greedock will help find out who sent those killers to the hospital. Unless it was Greedock who sent the killers. Especially if it was Greedock who sent the killers, Janine said. Those were Fred's exact words. Anyway, Fred says Greedock has more contacts in high places and more resources to draw from. What does Greedock get in return? Because the Splithead always got something in return. He gets information from Fred, Janine said. Info that Greedock can't get from you since you and he aren't talking. Greedock's investigating. Fred's investigating. It makes sense that they compare notes. As strange and suspicious as it sounds, little brother, it's the smart thing to do. Fred needs to check with me on what information he can share. I don't like this. She squeezed his arm. Trust Fred. Let him do his job. Would you want him to tell you how to read his own blitz? No, but Fred isn't a quarterback. And you're not a detective. Get it? They reached the hospitality suite door. I get it, Quentin said. I still don't like it. You'll like it plenty if Fred uses Greedock's influence to find out who's trying to kill you. A solid point. Her words rang in his head. He looked at her in a new light. Read a zone blitz? I thought you hated football. Since when do you know that much detail about it? I'm trying to learn. You see, my little brother is pretty kick-ass out on the gridiron. And you're dating a linebacker. She nodded. And I am dating a linebacker. I know you got questions for Mike, so get to it. I'll join John and your sister down on the field. While the news about Fred and Greedock wasn't what Quentin had wanted to hear, he'd enjoyed a moment alone with his sister. He hoped to have more of those in the future. Quentin entered the hospitality suite. Michael Kimberlin was standing at the catering table. No surprise there, really, as the heavy G consumed massive amounts of food each and every day. The broccoli was gone. Mike had eaten the entire bowl and started in on the baby carrots. 
Chodo stood with his back to the wall. At eight feet even, Kimberlin was the second tallest humanoid kraken. Only Rich Palmer was taller, and that just by one inch. But where Palmer was a lanky 425 pounds, the black-haired Kimberlin was more akin to a walking wall of concrete. 615 pounds of solid muscle and thick bone. Michael Kimberlin was one of the few sentients in the galaxy that made Quentin feel not just small, but downright tiny. Congratulations, Mike said. The ceremony was lovely. Where am I flying you two lovebirds for your honeymoon? Quentin held the door open. Jodo, would you mind leaving us alone? The warrior looked from Quentin to Kimberlin, then back again. Do you not want me here? Is something wrong? Quentin's tone must have alerted Chodo. If a warrior could pick up on vocal cues, Greedock would read them like a stolen playbook. Quentin would have to get better at that, and fast. No, there's no problem. Chodo hesitated, then left the room. Quentin shut the door behind him. Just you and I, I see. Mike shook his head. I know you want me to pilot the Hypatia but I'd hoped you'd invited me here primarily because I am your friend. Looks like that hope was misguided. No hint of a surprise. At some level, Mike had suspected this was coming. I have to know, Quinn said. I have to hear it from you. What is your involvement with the Guild? The Heavy G's thick-featured face clouded over. I'm not involved anymore. I already explained that to you. So explain it again. Proc now also told me he wasn't involved with the guild anymore. Remember? Quentin saw the hurt on Mike's face. The man wanted to be accepted at his word. For the past four seasons, he'd been a friend and a confidant. Mike had been a tutor, providing an education Quentin was denied in the purest nation. Mike had taught Quentin the critical difference between being stupid and being ignorant. Thanks to Mike... Quentin learned that he had never been the former. Because of Mike, Quentin was no longer the latter. Even more than those things, when Janine and Fred were lost in the Portath cloud, Mike had instantly volunteered to help Quentin rescue them. Mike had risked Greedock's wrath to do so and his own life by going into a place from which no one returned. At every step of the way, Michael Kimberlin had been there for Quentin. But none of that mattered now. Quentin wanted to believe Big Mike, wanted that desperately, but things had changed. Quentin now had a family to think of. He had to be sure. If the Guild is behind the attack, they killed Coach and Kopor. They killed Vanga Cal and Bobby Brobst. Kimberlin huffed. Don't act like Greedox thugs were innocent angels that didn't deserve what happened to them. They weren't innocents by any stretch, but Sandoval wasn't after them or after Greedock. He was after me. Bobby and Fonga were bystanders. Four sentients dead, one maimed, and my shucking... Quentin choked off the words as his rage ratcheted up. He calmed himself, shoving that emotion back down. And your shucking arm, Kimberlin said. You think I'm oblivious to what happened? I am your friend, Quentin. I know you are a target, and yet here I am, ready to take on whatever comes your way. You want me to explain it again? You got it. This is the last time I'll say it. I've left the guild behind. 
I have nothing to do with those butchers. Mike's mix of pride and pain. Heartbreaking. Quentin had become adept at reading people. Just like the last time he'd asked Mike about his involvement with the Guild, Quentin saw no sign of a lie. Mike was telling the truth. Quentin knew he had to trust his instincts. Something told him that was the only way to survive what was to come. I believe you, he said. I had to be sure, and I won't lie. I am happy my friend was here for my wedding. Quentin stepped closer, offered his hand. A trace of hurt remained in Mike's eyes, but he couldn't hide his relief. They shook, Quentin's hand vanishing inside of Mike's massive paw. For all the words the two men had just shared, now that the moment had passed, neither knew what to say. Quentin realized that Mike wasn't wearing his championship rings. The man had won three GFL titles with Jupiter, then two with Ionath. Five Tier 1 championships. What an amazing player. Finally, Mike broke the tension. George did a great job with the ceremony, but I'm surprised you invited him. What do you mean? Kimberlin's eyebrows rose. You haven't heard about George going on those ridiculous fringe broadcasts and talking about the Abernessia? Quentin felt cold. We promised the poor Tath we wouldn't say anything. Talking about our trip to the cloud could get sentients killed. He's not talking about the cloud, exactly, Mike said. He's talking about the invasion fleet rumors that are floating around. It's funny. Most sentients who hear those rumors call them conspiracy theories. Yet you and I both know that fleet is coming. Just like Becca, Mike had zero doubts about the Abernessians. Maybe you believe Petra's claim, Quentin said, but I'm not convinced. Mike stared. Sooner or later, you'll figure out the truth. For the sake of billions, I hope it's sooner. Petra thought Quentin could do something to rally the galaxy, to unify the various peoples against the threat. So, too, did Mike. They saw something in Quentin that he knew was not there. Why? Why did they think he was anything other than what he was, a football player? These invasion rumors, Quentin said, trying to change the subject. George started them? Mike shook his head. They've been around for a little while. Very low-key stuff. Fringe sites, radcasts, that kind of thing. Right up there with the stories about two-headed spider bears, the hollow Satirly Six theory, the Tower Naughty, or that old one about Prawat disguising themselves as various government leaders. But the poor Tath haven't shared their story with anyone. So where are these rumors coming from? Mike said nothing. He did that during tutoring sessions, when Quentin asked a question and Mike wanted Quentin to figure it out for himself. It didn't take Quentin long to realize the obvious answer. Petra started the rumors. The law of parsimony would indicate you are correct. Agreed? That depends. Mike sighed. Let me guess. That depends on what the law of parsimony is. Congrats! You got it on the first try. It's the same thing as Occam's razor. Understand now? That depends. Mike sighed, shook his head, stared up at the ceiling. The law of parsimony, also known by the Earth colloquialism Occam's razor, states 
that an explanation of a thing that is made with the fewest possible assumptions is most likely to be the correct explanation. Quentin frowned. Then why didn't you just say the simplest answer is probably the best? Sometimes I forget that despite your high intelligence, your bucolic upbringing leaves you unprepared for contextual subtlety. Quentin wasn't about to ask what bucolic meant. So you think Petra started the invasion rumors? Correct, Mike said. Although I'd substitute sowing the seeds of truth for started rumors. How did she do it? How did she get people talking about it? Effortlessly, without doubt, Mike said. It could be as simple as sending anonymous communications to various influencers. The sites talking about the invasion fleet are not well known for fact-checking, or requiring any form of actual logic, for that matter. Quentin threw up his hands. Why doesn't Petra just talk to the other governments? Starting rumors on French sites? Shucking radcasts? How is that going to help? As far as we know, she has tried to talk to other governments. Perhaps she suspects the leaders she contacted are already compromised by the Guild's money. Money the Guild got from the Abernessia. Perhaps she doesn't want to risk contacting officials in other governments until there is more common knowledge of the threat. Quentin would never forgive Petra for driving Janine and Fred into the Portath cloud. And maybe they don't trust her because she started war after war. Maybe because she's nuked entire planets. Mike grabbed a handful of baby carrots. His handful was probably enough to feed a family of four-sized normal sentients. Petra had her reasons. Like all wars, the combatants always have reasons. What governments should be seeing is that this warmongering race, as the Prowad are known, are not only trying to join the galaxy at large, but trying to bring former enemies together to fight a far larger threat. Those governments will learn the truth, but let us hope, just as with you, they learn sooner rather than later. Quentin was beginning to hate that phrase. Mike ate the entire handful of carrots, chewed loudly. I don't want to talk about it anymore, Quentin said. I want to get back to Becca. After the wedding dinner, do you mind heading up to the Hypatia? I'm converting the cargo hold to a workout area. I'd appreciate you being there to make sure it all goes well until I can come up. State-of-the-art gear. I'm spending a small fortune on it. Still chewing, Mike gave a thumbs up. Quentin needed to see his new bride, spend as much time with her as he could. Soon, his rehab training would begin in earnest, and he wouldn't have much time for anything else. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Iron. Quentin's muscles strained. They burned. They shook. He lay on his back, on a bench with more duct tape than padding, struggling to push the iron bar up for one more rep. The hypatious small cargo hold echoed his grunts, his strained breathing. The man standing behind him, spotting him, was not impressed. Weak, disgust laced his gravel voice. You don't want it bad enough. Quentin pushed harder. His eyes scrunched until his field of vision was a sliver filled with nothing but the iron and the lights above. He pushed, but the bar didn't go up. Instead, despite his effort, it started to come back down. Scrub, the man said. Shuck and scrub wasting my time. I thought you wanted to play ball again. Better get you a nice blazer so you can do color commentary, you washed-up has-been. A commentator? Like Tarrant the Smasher? Retired? The bar stopped going down. It trembled. The fourteen rust-speckled iron plates, seven plates on each side, rattled lightly like big, muted bells. Shuck you, Diablo, Quentin said, forcing the words out through clenched teeth. Give up, scrub. Go endorse wheelchairs or Geritol. Push harder. Push harder. The iron started to rise again. Muscles begged for rest. But Quentin had that bastard bar now. Yes, he did. Keep pushing. Last rep. Just push. It went up in slow motion. His elbows locked. Behind him, Marcus Diablo gripped the bar and pulled it to the rack, where it fell into place with a metallic rattle. Twenty reps, Diablo said. A mediocre effort, but at least you finished the set. Quentin drew in big breaths, trying to bring oxygen back to his screaming muscles. His arms, his chest, completely spent. Mediocre? Twenty reps of three hundred kilos is mediocre to you? Diablo leaned over the bar and stared down. His wrinkled face twisted into a snarl. Why are you lying down? Blitz coming! Get your ass up! The man was twice Quentin's age, maybe closer to three times, but still had enough hand speed to land three fast, stinging face slaps before Quentin could react. Quentin rolled off the bench, landed in a squat. He stood, 
fists balled, but the fists opened in an instant reaction when Diablo threw a football at him. Quentin caught it, turned it, instantly brought it up to his left ear. Footwork! Diablo screamed. Blitz right! Visualizing a blitzing linebacker coming at him, Quentin sidestepped to his left with short, choppy steps that preserved his wide base. From the left! He sidestepped right, eyes scanning the 15 red and white circular targets that Diablo had set up around the cargo hold. A target to the left lit up, concentric circles glowing ruby red and neon white. Quentin turned, squared his shoulders to the target, and threw. The motion felt natural, perfect. It felt like home, until that instant, just before he released the ball, when a knife of agony jabbed straight through his forearm. The ball ripped through the air. It hit the wall, just below the target. Horrible pass, Diablo said. Quentin gripped his left forearm with his right hand, thumb and fingers digging in, trying to massage away the pain. You're done with the iron for the day, Diablo said. Thirty-second rest, then get your ass on the bike. Thirty-minute cool-down ride. Quentin bent at the waist, hands resting on his knees. He wondered if he might throw up. Every bit of him felt drained. His cheeks stung. Do you slap all your clients? Clients, Diablo said. That's cute. I don't have clients. I have fighters. And yeah, I hit them all. How else can I knock the weakness out of them? Quentin straightened, trying to get his breathing under control. And you slapped Kyle North? Diablo smiled. No, slapping him didn't do anything. Neither did punching him. Him, I hit with a monkey wrench. Quentin felt the chill that wasn't from his cooling sweat. You're kidding, right? Diablo ran a hand through his silver-streaked black hair, which was thin enough that Quentin could see dozens of scars lining his scalp. More small scars on his forehead, chin, and cheekbones. Those cheekbones were mismatched the left visibly higher than the right. Diablo's nose had been broken so many times, he'd clearly given up on trying to have it fixed. It looked like a flesh-colored potato. If you think what you're doing is hard, Barnes, try training for a pro fight. Fifteen seconds left. Quinn nodded, walked toward the bike. Like everything else in the cargo hold, the stationary bike was secondhand, at best. Shortly after the wedding, Fred had brought Marcus Diablo to the Hypatia. Diablo and Diablo's preferred training gear. There was plenty of room in the hold for his ratty old stuff and Quentin's brand new expensive equipment, but that, apparently, wasn't how Diablo operated. While Quentin had still been on Earth with Becca, and while Big Mike had been asleep, Diablo had put the new equipment in the airlock and vented it into space. The term used didn't even apply to Diablo's training gear. The stuff looked ancient. The duct tape bench, rusty iron weights, a beat-up squat rack, a stationary bike with chipped paint and stains on the seat. For his own sanity, Quentin had decided not to ask how those stains came to be. Diablo had also brought in thick ropes, blocks of concrete, 200-kilo used tires, sledgehammers, even raw granite boulders that Quentin was expected to move from one side of the cargo hold to the other every morning. Quentin 
had just spent three days on Earth with Becca before returning to the Hypatia to start training. Not much of a honeymoon. Becca understood, of course. Just another reason she was so shucking awesome. She was spending time planetside with her parents, staying out of sight. Fred's associates quietly watched over them, protecting them, while Fred continued trying to find out who wanted Quentin dead. For a week now, Quentin had endured the torture brought on by the former trainer of galactic heavyweight champ Kyle, the heretic North. Bringing Diablo in had seemed like a brilliant move. Now, every fiber of Quentin's body hurt. If he needed the entire offseason to get ready, it would be worth it. He'd made it to the top by working harder than anyone he knew, but he'd been shocked to learn firsthand that fight training was far more demanding than football training. Diablo stayed in one of the Hypatia's staterooms. From the morning's first alarm until lights out, the older man controlled every aspect of Quentin's existence. Workouts, food, film study, and meditation. Diablo demanded that Shoto stay out of the training sessions. Diablo hated the warrior. When Quentin asked why, all Diablo would say was, because he worked with that bastard Greedock. When Greedock got involved with the title fight between North and Korak the Cutter, Chodo had constantly been at the leader's side. Chodo remained on the Hypatia, but for the most part, the warrior agreed to stay out of sight. Time's up, pretty boy. Get on the goddamn bike! Diablo had maxed out the bike's resistance. Quentin had to stand and let his 380 pounds push down on the pedals just to get started. Diablo's definition of a cool-down was vastly different from anything Quentin had experienced in the past. Diablo sat in a beat-up folding lawn chair. He'd had that shipped out as well. The frayed green fabric stuck out in places like Sklorno eye stocks. The chair tilted a bit to the right. I'm going to whip your ass into the best shape of your life, Diablo said. That conditioning, though, won't make a squirt of difference if you can't put the ball on target. If you were a fighter, I'd coach you how to work through the pain, but it ain't the same sport. Quentin's leg muscles started to burn. Not even two minutes in, and it already seemed like an eternity. I'll find a way, he said. Diablo kicked his feet up, groaned as he eased back into the battered chair. He carried pain, too, mementos of a brutal career in the octagon. The old man raised his right hand, tapped his palm. A holo of an MMA fight appeared. Sometimes I forget you goody-goody footballers have to play by the rules of natural biology, Diablo said as he watched the fight. I know a guy who could do a backstreet mod or two that would fix you right up. And land me in a dark cell somewhere, Quentin said. In my business, you don't mess with mods. Frost was pursuing that very angle, petitioning the Empire Bureau of Species Interaction, the imperial body that oversaw the GFL, to make an exemption to the zero-tolerance, no-mods rule. The commissioner believed firmly that the league was a better product with Quentin Barnes on the field. Diablo closed his hand. The holo vanished. Champ, how bad do you want to get back on that field? Quentin answered by pedaling faster. I heard of some new stuff, Diablo said. Real new. Rumors going around. Supposed to be untraceable. From the way Diablo spoke, 
Quentin didn't have to ask if this new stuff was legal. What's it do? Everything, Diablo said. Heal and build muscle, mend broken bone, strengthen ligaments, even repair nerves. Nerves. Everything else in Quentin's arm was fine. It was the shucking nerves that threatened to end his career. Sounds too good to be true. Are there side effects? Diablo shrugged. Yeah, probably. Otherwise, it'd be legit, right? Like I said, I've only heard rumors, but those rumors claim no test can detect it. No test yet, Quentin said. Diablo nodded. He opened his palm, again called up the fight. Right, he said. No test yet. But I guess a guy in your position might be thinking, if that test takes another year to show up, you get in another season. Maybe that's enough time to defend that strap of yours. The trainer referred to the Galaxy Bowl Championship as a strap, as in a fighter's title belt. Diablo's guess was right. Quentin couldn't help but wonder if this new stuff might heal him. Had it really come to this? Had it reached the point where Quentin would consider cheating to stay on the field with his team? No, he would not cheat. Not interested, he said. But he could hear the hidden message in his own words, that he was interested. Very much so. I figured it wasn't your style, but I had to ask, Diablo said. Now pedal for shuck's sake. I take it easy on you, and this is how you thank me? I've seen nutless monkeys work harder than you. Quentin pedaled faster. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.